Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community, match by match, fan by fan, cup by freaking cup. Gentlemen, your Los Angeles Football Club are the 2022 MLS Cup champions. We are going to go ahead and name this episode, Oye Mi Amor, Si Somos Campeón, which I think was a fitting title for the episode. I had uh, kicked around the idea of calling it Akia style El Pinch Me Trofeo, but uh, I think for, for sake of continuity, we'll, we'll go with the, the Oye Mi Amor, one of the best moments from this entire experience. But before we dive into it, folks, look, we've got no Opcore this week. We've got no guests this week, just champions. To introduce a few of them, of course, my name is Jonathan Reimer, and joining me this evening, the illustrious Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening. Welcome. And please tell me what it feels like to be a champion. It's indescribable. It's probably the way I would describe this game, but I'm happy to finally be back. So many things happened in the last few weeks. And then I became superstitious after I missed the last one. I was like, wait a second. We've won every time I've missed. So maybe it's destiny. (laughs) Very baseball, very basketball kind of thing. Wearing the same socks. But I've been so happy since Saturday after the roller coaster of emotions and i can't wait to just talk through this and relive it again uh, through my memory and through our conversation it's definitely been a very wild four days since it didn't feel real you know i woke up sunday and just thinking back and it still just didn't feel real and then monday hits and it just kind of just seemed like a blur like the moments that went by and at the beginning of the match i was talking to people that we would see whether it was on the march or through the stadium. And the words I said to them was, you know, take in this moment, remember it because, you know, it's it's going to go by fast. And sure enough, I should have taken my own advice because I do feel like some of those moments had just gone by so fast. And I wished I would have been able to relive them because I feel like there's some of these minor details that you could have missed. You just want to take in every every bit of that game and put it in deep corners of your mind that you'll never forget, you know? I think this is one of those games that we are going to be re-watching for decades to come. Arguably the greatest game in MLS history, the greatest finals in MLS history, one of the greatest games of soccer ever. And I think... For myself and for many people, the greatest game I have ever witnessed in the flesh, to be sure. It had so many moments. And I think it, it would be fitting today if, if we just went through and broke it down moment by moment. And rather than having me just kind of run through a synopsis of the game, let's just kind of go piece by piece and describe how we took it in in those moments. Because, you know, for me, it, I think it took a long time to settle in. I was talking to Panda from Angel City Chicks after the game, and we both had this sentiment, like, it it still doesn't feel real. Like, I still feel like they're going to put up a flag and and say Palacios went over the touchline. Like, they're still going to go to VAR and call a goal back. Like, it it, it wasn't official yet, even though the game had, had ended an hour ago. Like, I was so nervous throughout the course of the game that that even once it was over, it, it still took a long time for me to finally, like, acquiesce to the fact that we had won the game and that we are champions just a surreal moment and the elation and despair that we all felt throughout so many different moments in this match i'm just curious to hear it as you each perceived it um so let's go ahead and kick it off right pre-game we have 
the parking fiasco that everyone was so worried about that, you know, frankly, in my opinion, didn't really amount to much of an issue. I was able to find parking a block from the bank. It was really easy for me to park, you know, adjacent to Expo Park and get myself in there and, you know, join the whole tailgate festivities and the march to the match, which was a fantastic thing. And something we really haven't done at the bank since season one, game one, when we did the the epic first ever march to the match. And so to me, it was almost a little more special than if we would just had our regular tailgate. So I'm kind of curious what you guys thought about getting to the bank. Did you take Metro? Did you find a way to get there otherwise? And, and what was your experience like pregame? It wasn't any different for me because my in-laws live maybe a mile and a half away. So they've been dropping us off all year and started probably middle of last season. So I was, I've been fortunate where we had a kind of have a routine, but I will say this, all the communications that went out, people were there very early to tailgate in, in March. People figured it out. There was this concern that people were not going to be there on time, that this was going to throw them off. You know, you never know when you're going to be back at a championship, no matter how good the team is. And I still think that we are, but people relished in the opportunity to be there. They were there early. And I agree with you. There was a lot of parking as I was getting dropped off. A lot of lots, a lot of people, a lot of people's houses, a lot of street parking within, you know, a few blocks away. I did have to change up my routine a little bit, you know, because normally I'll buy the parking pass for the season. And but uh, there was a DWP facility not too far away that uh, I parked at and I ended up taking a bird scooter. We, we know like, about your history with bird scooters. Your shoulder make it through okay? Yes, 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 it was. I had Gabriel with me. So Gabriel was riding. So I, I rode extra carefully <laughs> on the bird. Um, But uh, yeah, so then and I got there maybe like five minutes or less after the march had taken off. So, you know, I could as soon as I pulled up to where everybody had 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 the tailgating i could hear the chanting it was just you know 100 yards away and so then we ran and caught up with everybody and we partook in the march and it was great to see the 3252 cheering and chanting and it was definitely the best way to start that match so we get into the stadium and you know i think with so many concerns about parking this to me, I don't know if you guys remember Carmageddon from a few years ago, where it was like, oh, the 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 405 is going to be shut down and it's going to be the worst day for traffic in the history of Los Angeles. And everyone was freaking out and it was all anyone could talk about for like a week prior. And then because it had been discussed ad nauseum, like there was no traffic that day. Everyone just figured out something else to do that day. And, and there was like less traffic on the one freeway that was open than there normally would have been with two freeways open. I, I felt like everyone was so concerned about it that it ended up being a non-issue. I, I didn't hear about anyone getting stuck in traffic. And you could tell three hours before kickoff, the bank was full. Everything that the team did, the incentivizing fans to enter the stadium early with half off food and drink, a genius idea that seemed to work out perfectly. And by the time we got 30 minutes to kickoff, nearly the entire stadium was full. In fact, the only section that I noticed even at kickoff being partially empty was the Philly section, which makes absolutely no sense to me because we know they got a healthy amount of tickets to come out to this game, but still significantly less than I'm sure the demand was to come out. And, and I don't know what happened. Maybe, you know, some people got stuck at the hotel, pre-partied a little too hard, didn't make it out of their tailgate. But it was kind of odd that here we are in the first ever cup final in this team's history. They got three full sections and only two of them looked full. The third section looked mostly empty. 
And I don't know if that was fans who just found their way into a different part of the stadium or were just walking around and taking it in, but it did seem a little odd to me. And I don't know if you guys noticed this as well, too, but the Philly section was not full at kickoff, which I thought was very perplexing. Yeah, I was in the Southwest. I managed to get seats in the same row I usually sit, and we were kind of slightly diagonally across from them. And yeah, those seats never got filled, by the way. <laughs> so I didn't understand that. I was so pissed off because I know there's so many people that, you know, they're typical and regular season ticket holders that did not get a chance to attend. So it was it was very annoying. It was one of those things where the stadium was just so electric. I didn't even see any empty spots from my vantage point. And the atmosphere was just so loud. And I mean, the 3252 is always recognized for the atmosphere and the energy that they bring. But it was definitely on another level for that match. Well, speaking of atmosphere and energy, what did you guys think of the TIFO slash smoke show that happened there pregame? 3252, I got to be honest, being in the thick of all that smoke. I mean, you couldn't see more than two feet in front of your face. The smoke was so thick there in the north end. Curious what the perception was throughout the stadium. Well, first of all, I thought the Tifo was really good. It was a character that I, you know, uh, and from a series, an anime series that a lot of people knew and recognized. And I think it looked great. And then, you know, I thought that adding the smoke and the flares was a very nice touch. I'm curious, Jonathan, if you can talk about how much trouble you, the 3252 are going to be in for popping all that. Nope. Um. <laughs> Can't talk about that. But uh, to be honest, I haven't heard anything either. I'm sure. I'm sure there will be repercussions. You know, who knows? Who knows what MLS is going to do? Because the broadcast was talking about it. They showed it on the broadcast. Major League Soccer's tweeting out things about it. Don Garber saying fantastic things about the 3252 at the end of the game. So I don't know. You know, I don't know exactly how that's going to work out. I think it put on a great show for the second most watched game in the history of Major League Soccer. I think it made an impression. You know, and going back and rewatching the game and the camera angle from outside the stadium where there's just this, you know, tornado sized plume of black smoke pouring out that north corner of the stadium. The optics were pretty friggin sweet, you know, and the fact that you've seen a lot of people talking about it and reposting it. I think even, you know, the creator of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, you know, even he was retweeting it. So it's a lot of good press for the league for them to turn around and punish us. But we did break the rules. So naughty us. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, a slap on the wrist will be coming at some point in time. But I haven't heard peep about it. But uh, to be honest, even if I had, it's probably not something I should be talking about. You know, I, I appreciate the sacrifice to not be able to breathe in the way you usually breathe just for the spectacle. And yeah, I'm from where we were. I'm like Southwest corner. It just looked amazing. I think probably one of the better vantage points in the stadium and just recreating when whoever had the idea to have this be the TIFO is a genius because the smoke made it feel like exactly what you experience when you watch the show, right? That powering up, getting into that super Saiyan mode, not necessarily there. The hair wasn't blonde yet, but now it can be. It can be, and it deservedly so. So I think it set the tone for things to come and, you know, the battle that we were about to engage in. Yeah, level 9,000 all the way. So the next big thing to drop before the game was starting 11 for both teams. And as we had suspected, Bedoya was out for the Union. I think we all kind of knew that was coming the way he got subbed out prior to halftime in the Eastern Conference Finals. It, it looked like he was spent. 
the surprise to me, and I think to to many people around the stadium, a, a moment of concern was the absence of Giorgio Chiellini and the presence of one Sebastian Ibiaga. Did that catch you guys when the 11 came out? And did you have a response to that? It did not, actually. It makes me think of what kind of information or how they figured out, going back to the Austin game, uh, that large, I forget his name, larger striker was going to play. Because that was, that was huge for, for Chiellini taking that on. But I think the way Philly plays and how dynamic and young and fast they were, I don't think it would have been the right choice for Kalini to play in this match. I think it would have been bad luck for him and for the for the club. So I thought I thought it was the right call, to be honest with you. I thought that we were playing coy about Segura, and I thought he was going to be part, at least of the 18. Well, he was part of the 18, but at least start. And maybe he'd come off a half when BB got to finish the game. But obviously, Georgia didn't even play a part and we'll talk more about that later i thought the keeling was going to start but uh you know and then to see sebas come in as as the actual starter alongside uh moody it, i i was a little shocked i i think i'm not shocked but i was surprised you know because i think that when you look at segura or keeling that those are the two strikers that i think most people you know between Murillo, Segura, and Chiellini, it's like, hey, any of those three could be our starting center back pairings. To see Sebas come in and, and do it, or Ibiagas come in and do it, I I think that, you know, he played well too, so it wasn't like there was any issues with his performance. I feel like he's always been a very solid center back. I just was a little surprised to see that he was the one that got the nod, but I'm pleasantly happy that he did because I thought that he played very well. I really thought they were going to be saving Chiellini to come in and help see out a victory at the end that once the game sort of became the set piece aerial game that typically games like this devolve into at the end that we were just saving Killini for that moment more on that to come I really have to agree with you though the center back pairing I mean obviously look we gave up three goals so I, I don't know how much we can wax philosophical about the performance of our center backs especially given one moment that stands out in particular But I thought as far as getting in passing lanes, dispossessing the opponent, you know, making sure that, you know, we stopped counters, that we were able to get the ball out of our own end effectively and feed it to the midfield, going up against one of the greatest teams in MLS history in this particular union squad, I thought our center back pairing ultimately did particularly well on the day. But again, more on that to come. Let's dive into the game. So we get into the first half and, you know, first 15 minutes are fairly uneventful. Both teams kind of feeling it out. Philadelphia not really able to get much going offensively. Frankly, neither were LAFC. You know, both teams have really, really strong talent. And the game was, you know, just sort of trying to pick each other apart, see where the holes were, figure out what the strategies were. But in the 14th minute, there was something that, uh, could have potentially played a much, much larger role later on in the game. And that was a yellow card issued to Union's Elliott, an absolutely deserved yellow card, you know, cleaned Hollingshead out when he was uh, streaking down the line there and more on that to come. But a first yellow card issued to Elliott. We get a little bit further into the 27th minute. LAFC get a foul right outside the box. And you got to figure this is prime territory for the golden left foot of one Carlos Vela. And I think everyone in the stadium saw Carlos line up over that ball. He was looking at that top corner and we're thinking Vela's going to pick this out. And then at the last minute, Vela peels off. Kellen Acosta comes through and fires a ball that strikes right into the top of the wall. Takes a lucky deflection, finds the back of the net. LAFC are up 1-0 in the 27th minute. What was your guys' thoughts about the execution on that particular set piece? And what was your reaction to that first goal? Obviously happy to take the lead. 
better than being down, but there was still so much time left in the game, two-thirds at that point, more than two-thirds of time left in that game. So it was, you know, it was not a solidified victory, you know, or something where you, you're like, I can breathe. I'm, it's still energy and anxiety was up high, but I'm glad that, I, you know, I don't know if, if it was Carlos was just like taking a pump fake or if maybe he stepped up and saw something and Kellen came in and kicked it, you know, because it was like, hey, I'm just not going to waste any time. But, you know, worked out for us, right? Yeah, Carlos was asked about it, actually. And he said that Kellen really wanted it and he felt it. Right. So then he's like, OK, so I think the pump fake, there was a couple things. The pump fake, there was a half step by the keeper to his left. Right. Carlos is right. I think affected maybe his position a little bit. And also, one of the top rules in being part of a wall, you never turn in any way, right? Because if you do and it hits you, it creates an angle for a deflection to go towards goal versus if you stay, you know, parallel to the goal, then the likelihood is a lot lower. And there was a slight turn of the body, and that's what did it in, right? Wrong-footed it, the keeper, and then it went to the opposite of where he was starting to go because he thought Vela was going to kick, so... Very fortunate, but I also think that's where Kalen was probably trying to go, number one. And then number two, it was on frame and it was hit hard and that's what he's been doing. I do think it helped him because he's been pretty crappy at free kicks. So the deflection was definitely something that helped him out quite a bit. And I think it put a, a chink in the armor of the, their keeper and, and, their, and their confidence too, and the keeper's confidence, in my opinion. I know we've harped on this show about how LAFC have not really been all that effective at direct free kicks. We've scored a lot of goals from set pieces, but almost all of them have been from corners. We have not really had, since that ball went under the wall in the third game of the season, I don't think we've had a direct free kick go in since then all season. You know, so I mean, we're talking eight months since the last time we had a direct free kick go in. So it was refreshing to see. I will take a little bit of luck. I was hoping that luck wouldn't go both ways, but this uh, game for the first of many times said, hold my beer. Uh, we get to the end of the first half, pretty cagey, not much else in the way of events, no bookings, no real big opportunities throughout the course of the rest of the first half. We had a really dominant performance throughout the first 45 minutes, one that I was really proud of and gave me a lot of hope at halftime. It was exhausting in the North End. We were going as hard as we have ever gone in the North End. So I think all of us appreciated a chance to go buy a $40 bottle of water and and try and get back into the North End ready to go for the second half. And I think uh, that complacency and attitude that I felt in my heart was represented a little bit on the pitch as well, too, because right as we come out of the half, it really felt like the union had had some kind of halftime talk where, where they were fired up and ready to go. And LAFC just seemed like they were willing to concede possession, you know, block a ball and fire it back and let them start up and come at us again. And that was a really unsustainable model. And, and it didn't take but 15 minutes or so into the half for that to rear its ugly head. And so in this case, you know, a poor tackle in midfield as they're advancing the ball causes a set piece for the union. And, and you got to be thinking that they're going to try and it was close enough where they were going to try and go directly at goal. And it, it really looked like Martinez kind of scuffed the free kick 
it didn't look like it went where he wanted to. Like he was trying to pick out that top right-hand corner and he just slipped a little. The ball didn't come off his foot perfectly. It ends up firing itself into the wall and happens to land right at the feet of none other than Gazdag, who at that point in time played on side by Palacios, is not going to do anything other than fire the ball into the back of the net and boom, it's tied up 1-1. And as lucky as I felt we were on the free kick deflection to get our first goal, I have to feel like the union were equally as lucky that you know, a scuffed shot ends up landing right at the feet of Gazdog and the game's tied up. So what were your boys' reactions to the goal and, and you know, the stroke of luck that handed it to the Union? I agree with you that uh, it, at least it felt like LAFC were willing to protect the goal versus, you know, continue to attack. And it caused them to have more confidence and attack. And that was definitely a shot by Martinez or the hardest pass Ever. Gaza, credit to him. He he did control that and turn in one motion and just kind of put it on net real quick. Didn't get a, didn't give Maxime Crepo a, a chance and Cheeky was just a foot off. And I was pretty close to seeing that line. I was almost down the line from where that was. And everyone in our section was like, oh, yeah, offside, offside. I was like, nah, man, Cheeky messed up. <laughs> Cheeky messed up. So, yeah, it, it just what I didn't like is that it let them have a little confidence, right? Too early. And then we were conceding too much space where I thought we could have continued to at least pressure them and keep trying to keep the ball versus bunker encounter, which I think was a little bit of what they were trying to do when that goal happened. Uh, Jonathan, you were saying that this was from a free kick? Correct. No, no, this was a corner kick. It was an open play, yeah. Yeah, that headed out. It was a corner kick, came in, got headed out. And it went over and it made its way over to Martinez. Martinez took a shot. Bad clearance. And and Gazdog just, and it was like a shot on frame and Gazdog just stopped it, wheeled around and like took it and took it as if it was like a pass at feet. Yeah. Um, Good call. So when you look at it over and over, like I think that Martinez was like really trying to take a shot from distance. Like it was well, well outside of the box, but Gazdog made, you know, had some really good touch on it because that ball was flying. Right. And for Gazdog to just one touch compose it and to wheel around, it might as well have been almost offsides. I think is what some people were concerned with is whether or not it was offsides, but I agree with you, Christian, that did give them the momentum. Right. And that was the whole thing about this is that this team can score and they can score fast. So, you know, I was worried that, we might give a quick goal in succession, but that wasn't the case, luckily. Only thing I dispute there is that that was not on frame by Martinez. Terrible shot. They got very lucky that that ball just happened to hit Gazdog in the foot. You know, if that ball's a foot to the left or a foot to the right, a foot to the left, it, it goes out behind the line and a foot to the right, it it, it hits the, the wall of LAFC players that had formed there. It's just luck, you know? I mean, uh, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, although it took uh, certainly a bit of brilliance from Gazdog in order to collect that errant shot and put it in. And I agree with you, nothing, nothing Max could have done about that one. You know, he was trying to protect the shot going to the other side. So, I mean, not, not much he could do there. I had a real thought that the union were going to go down to 10 men. It was about 10, 15 minutes later in the game that Elliot goes in for a really, really hard challenge, elbow up, catches, I believe it was Acosta, right in the side of the head. And then looking at the replay, it certainly looked like a yellow card to me. I've seen a lot softer contact called a yellow. Boys, I know we have not been the biggest fans of pro ref here on this show. But do you feel like they did the right thing by letting that go and keeping it even squad? Or was that undoubtedly a second yellow in your mind? I think that 
again, you don't want to call another yellow on a player and influence a game like that. You know, when we get later in the game, we talk about the the red card that was issued to Max. You know, it. I think that initially he came out and was trying to give a yellow, but when you look listen to a lot of pundits, you know, they all agreed that it was a straight red. But so I, I think that that might have played some influence into the decision making of to the referee of being like, hey, look, I'm not trying to have Philadelphia go a man down for the remainder of the half, which is not necessarily fair. But I think, you know, you're trying to not be so influential toward the outcome of the match. It was definitely borderline. In my opinion, it could have gone either way. But the way the match was being called, it didn't warrant it. There was a lot of let him play. And it almost had to be really egregious for a yellow. And then this was, I think, in a normal jumping motion, Elliot's a lot taller too. So I feel like him putting his elbows up could be considered um, almost in anyone's kind of general head area. So I think all those things probably went into the referee's mind, which is why he didn't call. And I agree, he probably doesn't want to put his thumb on the scale and have to be almost like if he swung his his arms versus lifting him as he's trying to propel himself, which is the way I saw it. And I, I took that kind of point of view. But I think if it's even Western Conference finals, it's there's a consideration, much, much more deep consideration and maybe giving a second yellow. If this is a regular season game, that's a yellow. It's a red. But it's not a regular season game. It's MLS Cup. You've got two million households turning in and watching it. And I respect that the ref said, look, it's a foul, but I'm not going to send a guy off for it. And as much as my heart wanted it to be a red card in the moment, I I think my head knew that it was never, ever going to be called. But uh, we might be saying Elliot's name once or twice more throughout the course of the rest of this show, which uh, certainly proved to be a pivotal moment in the game. 74th minute, none other than Quadwo Mahala Opoku checks into the game. This is normally where Vela would be coming out of the game, but in this case, it was Arango who comes out and Opoku who comes in, which is different than what we have seen Dolo do throughout the course of the latter stages of this season and certainly this postseason. Did that guy's catch you as a bit of a shock? It certainly seemed to be shocking to Arango, who by his body language did not want to come out of this game. I think that the idea behind it was just Philadelphia might have been a little fatigued. And so you're looking for a player like Apoku who can come in and influence a match with his pace and work right. And, you know, I, I don't think that it was because Arango was not performing well. I think it was just to give the team a, a different look and hopefully try and find a way to move the ball up the pitch and uh, get some more shots on frame. I thought it was a good tactical move because his speed was trying to put off their center backs who were influencing the match at that point in time. So I thought that Opoku going down the middle was going to potentially give Buanga and Vela more space uh, because they would have to be concerned with space behind them versus Arango, what he was doing, he was coming in deep to receive balls and that's not necessarily pressuring. So although I think it was tough, it was a tough call. He hadn't done it. So there must have been something more than he saw than what I just explained to. You know, to me, there were a couple things that that made it make sense in the moment. We had been playing a lot of route one balls throughout the course of the you know first few 20 minutes or so of that second half. Seemed like every time LAFC got the ball, the plan was to just fire it long and hope someone got on the end of it. And I think as a result, Arango was doing a lot of sprints and he looked a little gassed because his counter press was certainly not the same in the second half as it was in the first half. We've certainly questioned Arango's defensive skills a a couple of times throughout the course of the past few seasons, something I think he's put a lot of work into being significantly better at throughout the latter stages of this season. 
he just looked like he was a step off in trying to press those balls coming out from Blake as they were building out the back. And I, I could see why you want the fierce competitor that is Opoku out there on the pitch. So it, it made a little sense to me. And and I actually really appreciated Vela hanging around in the game a little bit longer. I thought, you know, he was still showing us some good distribution. Didn't look like he was out and, you know, he'd come out early in the last two games. So I felt like he should have had the freshness and the fitness to keep going. Whereas Arango had played a lot of minutes. So I, I thought it was a, a fairly brilliant tactical move by Dolo. One that unfortunately, you know, Opoku didn't get to stay in the game for as long as we would have hoped, but more on that in a sec. Let's go ahead and advance ourselves to the 83rd minute. The moment in which I think we all felt was at the time, the decisive moment in this MLS cup, LAFC gets them a corner. You have, the golden left foot of Carlos Vela over there in the north corner. He fires in an absolute dime of a corner, and Murillo gets on the end of it. Beautiful header, back of the net. It's 83rd minute, guys. We, we just went up 2-1. to one. This is it. We've won MLS Cup, right? All, all we got to do is see out the next 10 minutes, and boom, we're, we're in. You know, my 2-1 prediction going into this game was was sealed and done, and we were ready to go ahead and have ourselves a trophy celebration. That's certainly how, how my heart felt in the moment. What were you guys thinking when Murray buried that header? I think it was the same. I think that everybody was sitting there celebrating, thinking this is what we need. You know, you put a goal in in the last 10 minutes, and... It seals our fate. And uh, shortly thereafter, right, what is it, two minutes later, people weren't even done celebrating. You know, like people were still celebrating this goal. And then all of a sudden we go to tie again and people are, it's like, hey, stop celebrating. We just tied, you know, and it, or they just tied it up. And so it, it was not a very long lived celebration. I can tell you that. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought it was a, like a brilliant corner kick, like you said. And I think it was Ibiaga to help pick his defender or give him the half step to get around uh, to that first post. And then it was a powerful header across the goal. Murillo should be doing that more often. I think hopefully he can work on that next season because he does have the strength, the power, the the ability to leap. But I was, I, I agree with you. At that point, it felt like we got this. We can become a fortress. We have people on the bench that can help see a game out. And it seemed like the trigger wasn't pulled after this goal to make some of the defensive changes that we needed. I think this is where we got caught a little bit in the gamesmanship of it. Chiellini had been kind of loosely stretching, but hadn't really gone out for his full warmups yet. And then the second we scored that goal... Chiellini started warming up, and I think the intent was to bring him in to help us see out this victory. But because we had not wanted to keep him warm and and to keep that card hidden, he wasn't ready to come in right as the goal was scored, a moment in which really called for the substitution at that point in time. A fresh center back with great aerial presence would have been absolutely what we needed at this point. But unfortunately, you know, a quick foul is given at the other end i believe it's 90 seconds after the goal goes in we foul them they set up for what should have been a very very easy cross to defend and somehow we completely fall apart defensively and elliot yes the same one who should have been sent off for a second yellow if this were a a normal game is completely unmarked for the near post header And I have absolutely no idea how the defensive breakdown happened to the point where he was so wide open when there were so many LAFC players that could have stepped up and contested that shot. It absolutely blew my mind that here in one of the biggest moments in club history, 
when all you've got to do is see out 10 minutes. It's not two minutes after we take the lead that they found the back of the net and the game is tied 2-2. Were you guys as despondent and frustrated in that moment as I was? I was definitely frustrated. I will say this, though. I wasn't discouraged just because there were so many games this year where we had like second half subs or end of the game subs. So I'm like, all right, overtime at the bank. That sucks. Like I was giving myself a pep talk, like (laughs) trying to calm myself down. And that's how I felt. It was definitely some upset feelings, but quickly trying to turn the page. I'm like, all right. Let's say we let's see if we can score another. There's still time, like 90 minutes. And if not, we still have some pieces in the bench that are not in that could you know change this game for us. The uplifting feeling of being up quickly went away, and people were still trying to figure it out. What happened? How they scored? And uh, my biggest thing was I personally didn't even want to go into extra time because I didn't even want to go into penalties because like I would be. I mean, to lose in penalties was one of my biggest fears, right? Because it's like, those just can be so 50-50. And so I I didn't even, I wanted the game to end in in regular time. You know, like that was my thing. But a loss, we end up going into extra time. And it was, that was a a whole other new set of whirlwind emotions. I think, you know, for all of us in the North End, we had gone so hard for those first 85, 90 minutes that... You know, when the game was tied and we realized we had 30 more minutes, we had to do, I mean, just the exhaustion on the faces that I saw around me in that little break between the end of stoppage and the start of extra time was, you know, you could tell people were gassed, but, um, you know, thankfully 3252, there's no quitting them. And even though we had gotten started very, very early that morning with the singing and chanting, I, I applaud all of them for, for being able to keep it up. Right before the end of the game, we, we do see Acosta come out and Christian Teo come in for Acosta, which I thought was a very interesting move to pull out a midfielder and bring in a striker. But as Dolo described him after the game, that they've discovered that Teo is is more of a natural number 10, as Dolo described him in the postgame conference. And so he really kind of thought of him as a midfielder, which I think is something that might play a much, much larger role in 2023 than it really did here in 2022. But I think in the moment we were like, oh, well, he's pulling a midfielder and putting in a striker. He's throwing the kitchen sink at this game to try and end it in regulation without having any extra time. But in retrospect, it might have been a more tactical decision than otherwise we thought. So we get into extra time. The first 15 minutes of extra time really only had one notable moment that I could tell other than, you know, both teams looking absolutely exhausted and trying to figure something out. We have Carlos Vela come out and none other than the Welsh dragon himself, Gareth Bale, enters the game. Knowing what we know now, is it's very different to look back and maybe answer this question honestly. But gentlemen, when Vela came off and Bale came in, what were your thoughts about the Welsh dragon entering the match? Well, I liked that Bale was coming on for Vela in the sense that, you know, how we've talked in the show about how they make similar movements, right? That they occupy a lot of the same space. So not having both those players on the field at the same time, I was like, okay, cool. We're not underutilizing each one of their skill sets. So in that regard, I was like, all right, cool. You know, and, and my vantage point at that point, because I had moved seats, my vantage point was terrible. So I was watching things from the screen. So I didn't know if there was something going on with Carlos or what have you. 
you know, it was definitely a lot of minutes that he had played in this match. And so, I, I mean, I just was like, okay, hey, come on. Like, I was I was hopeful. I was like, come on, Gareth, let's, let's do something. Get us a goal type of thing, right? No, I, I think, well, what made me think about as uh, Steve did this is like, he's going for it, right? Theo is more offensive than defensive. So, Sifu was a little bit dropping back uh, to help out Yulia. And Acosta coming off, Vela coming off, and Chicho coming off. I'm like, all right, these are three potential penalty kick kickers. So if he's taking them off, he's trying to win. He's trying to win, and he's trying to make sure that this doesn't go to penalties. So that's how I felt. And then I also thought of, all right, that means that he's fit enough to play, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. And if he can give us 20 to 30 minutes of moments of magic, He's not going to be in every play. He's going to be helpful defensively because of his height. And he's going to be able to partake here and there in some offensive actions. That's all the things that I thought of when I saw him warming up and coming up to the touchline to come in. So we get to the extra time break. Not really much happening in that first 15 minutes. But my goodness, had we any clue what was to transpire in the next 15 minutes? Many people have called this the greatest 15 minutes in MLS history. People who have covered this league from day one have said there have never been a 15 minutes of soccer as wild as what we got at Bank of California Stadium to close out extra time. Early on in the second 15 minutes, we have an absolutely catastrophic moment. What should have been a very, very simple pass back to the keeper gets fluffed in a moment of exhaustion. And I guess I can understand someone has already played, you know, nearly two hours at this point, the exhaustion that must settle in and the inability to get this kick back. But given the gravity of the moment, it it certainly seemed like this one poorly placed back pass was going to be our undoing. Cripo has to come out. He has to commit the foul. Unfortunately, his foot gets stuck and absolutely gruesomely snapped in the course of coming out to commit the foul. He was originally awarded a yellow uh, as having got the ball, uh, but upon video assistance, it was upgraded to dog. So a red card was shown and we all had to sit there and horrifically watch Max leg get put inside a cast He gets put on the golf cart and wheeled off to a thunderous applause from everybody there. And John McCarthy gets ready to sub in. Uh, And before I I, I point out a little quirk in the rules that happened in this particular moment, I was just curious, you know, obviously, Max, bro, we love you. We wish you the speediest of recoveries. You lost your World Cup chance to go represent Canada in their first World Cup in 36 years uh, it's it's a terrible moment for him, for the franchise. But what was your guys' thoughts when you saw Max getting carted off? First of all, growing up, a pass like that, it's called a hospital ball. And that it is for a reason. Terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I don't know he was tired, and but I feel like it was a wrong moment. And usually Murillo has something like this in him every now and then. I know it wasn't on purpose, but it, it did cost Max. So I appreciate his commitment to the tackle. He knew that he was going to foul him. He knew that he couldn't give up the goal, especially at that moment in time in the game. And he sacrificed and, you know, no one knew that he was going to have a fracture because of it. But what I do appreciate from him also is never showed weakness despite a broken foot. His face was very serious, very 
confident, sat up, made sure he he was waving at his players and giving the thumbs up and kind of on his way out, making sure that 3052 continued to have the confidence to cheer. So big ups to Max, because I think those little things made a big difference and it kind of allowed people to snap out of the concern for him because he seemed to be okay, even though we know he necessarily wasn't, so that they could refocus and try to uh, push the team forward to refocus and do what they needed to do. The injury was heartbreaking. To get to where we were, Max was one of the biggest reasons, you know, that our our side had been able to go and make this run and and get the supporters shield and you know, it's it it just shows the kind of commitment that he had and you know, you you weigh out the risks and he knew that it was like, hey, I've got to try and go get this ball because if I don't, I could be giving up the lead and you know, it's it's sacrificing everything for the for the club, and it's just unfortunate the circumstances that have transpired. And I just hope that he's able to recover to full strength and be able to be back. You know, I don't know if these are injuries that are sometimes career ending or not. You know, but um, maybe Christian, you would you would have a better idea. But it was his right leg too, right leg, and that's his main leg that he uses for playing. And so it's you know you just you just hope that he is able to recover and come back and play again. I think he should be back to full fitness if it's just a fracture. You know, bones are better to injure than ligaments. I think the the mental part will be the harder part to get through. Max's character. I don't think he's going to be out for too long beyond what is necessary to heal a bone in terms of training. And I think he'll be able to contribute next year at some point in the season, for sure. There is some curious rules that came into place in this particular moment in the game. So according to MLS rules, in extra time of the MLS Cup, if a goalkeeper commits a red card offense, the opposing team gets to decide which player comes out in order for the backup goalkeeper to be subbed in. However, that rule did not get to be used because it was initially a yellow that was upgraded to a red. And because it was initially a yellow and upgraded to a red, chronologically, the injury to Max then precedes the card being upgraded from yellow to red. And so it is now an injury replacement and LAFC gets to decide which player comes out for McCarthy to come in. However, if he had been issued a straight red, it would have been the Philadelphia Union who decide which player comes out of the game, which I think is an absolutely fascinating little piece of evidence that I had no idea about in the moment. And it wasn't until hearing about Defenders of the Bank thinking that, in fact, the union had selected Opoku, going back and hearing Dolo's post-game press conference, where he talked about his own decision to remove Opoku, that I went back and sort of figured out the caveat of the rule by checking out the MLS page where I figured out exactly how this worked. So had Max been issued a straight red, the union would have then gotten to pick who comes out of the game. And I don't know if if I'm Jim Curtin, if I'm picking Quadwo Mahalo Opoku as opposed to, let's say, a Gareth Bale or someone else to come out of the game. But I, I found that to be absolutely fascinating little tidbit of, of rule after the fact. So because the card was upgraded, we got to make the substitution. Opoku comes out, McCarthy comes in. We're now down to 10 men and really just hoping at this point that we can see this through to PKs. 
But as it turns out, Wait, hold on, hold on. Before we go forward, thank you for figuring that out. Because I listened to Extra Time, I think Sunday or Monday, whenever it came out, and they talked about this. And I'm like, why would you take out a Poku? Like, was he going that fast for your center backs? I was so confused because they talked about this rule. And then I didn't have the thought to go look it up like you did explain it the way you did. So thank you for doing that. Because I learned something, first of all, when they mentioned that. I never knew that was an MLS thing. Because usually it's like, all right, we're going to take a striker off, but we get to choose which one. The team uh, that had the the keeper injured or, and, sent, and or sent off. I didn't know that there was a, a thing where I, you know, like in basketball where you pick the free throw shooter uh, when someone gets kind of fouled out at the end of the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not 100% sure I have all the facts correct. That was just my interpretation of reading it. But I haven't heard anyone talking about it other than for people to say, oh, the union must have selected Opoku to come out. But in Dolo's post-game press conference, he clearly states that he made the decision to remove Opoku. He didn't say, you know, the union got to choose and they chose a Poku, right? I mean, he, I mean, so I'm assuming we take Dolo at his word here that he made the decision. So then I was like, okay, well, well, how is Dolo telling me he made the decision? And then we have, you know, uh, some other outlets reporting that the union made the decision. So I took it upon myself today to go digging through the rule book. And I'm pretty sure I figured out that because it was yellow upgraded to red, that that changed the chronology of what happened. And so the injury replacement would then happen before the red card. And that would preclude the union from being able to make that decision. But I just thought that that whole little piece of it was something I had no clue of prior to. Didn't even realize it was happening in the moment, but was fascinated with after the fact. But moving on, we get to the 120th plus four minute. There has never in the history of Major League Soccer been a goal scored this late in a competition. I just want to interject and just say that there was nine minutes of out of time due to the injury. So, you know, for those of us that didn't that that didn't watch or didn't, you know, it's nine minutes, right? So all of this transpires in the last nine minutes of the whole thing that's going down. You're absolutely right. And there would not have been a 129th minute if it had not been for the Cripo injury. Absolutely correct there, Chris. Uh, but in the 124th minute, John McCarthy steps up and makes one of the biggest saves I have ever seen a keeper make. It was a phenomenal save. And if you go back and rewatch that Philly goal, McCarthy gets a hand to a shot. I have no idea how he reacts that quickly to. It was an insane save. But all of the Philadelphia Union players were crashing the keeper at that point in time. And all of the LAFC defenders were caught flat-footed. The rebound comes back out. And guess who? Your boy Jack Elliott finds that ball, hammers it home. It is now Philadelphia Union 3, LAFC 2. The latest goal ever scored in MLS history, 124th minute. I can tell you how I felt in this moment. I felt like someone just reached inside and snapped my heart in two. I thought for sure that was it that we had lost this game. I was going to keep singing. I was going to keep cheering because I wanted my boys to hear me for five more minutes, maybe have a prayer of a chance to go down there. But we're down to 10 men. We're up against one of the greatest teams in MLS history. We've got arguably the greatest goalkeeper in the history of Major League Soccer on the other end of that pitch. I have to say, my I wavered a little in, in my belief that we had it in us to pull this out. But boys, what was your reaction to Philly going up 3-2? It things did look bleak, um, but you know you also have to. Did you guys see the post that the Philadelphia Union had posted at this point in time that they end up having to 
delete the post where they said that uh, the defender Elliot for Philadelphia was greater than Gareth Bale. And then, you know, sure enough, that tweet had to get deleted minutes later. But, you know, I was talking to Rich about, you know, that moment and, you know, we're, we're down at, at his, the S10 suite. And he had said that he's like, I, he looked around and he was seeing the 3252 in the atmosphere. And he was like, there's just too much love and there's too much energy in this stadium for it to be over. It can't end this way. And that was just his attitude. It was just everybody like, you know, come on, it's not over. We're not done type of thing. So I'd say maybe end of the, the regular time going into extra time my son fell asleep with all the craziness it was so loud but he did nap and he woke up really early that day so i was like sitting and i wanted to be up and screaming and i was still screaming but i couldn't like you know engage my full body and this happens no joke i just looked at my wife and i was like there's still time and i'd say you know maybe people that got tickets that haven't been on maybe the five-year journey we have gone through, I want to say maybe there's a 5-10% of the people that typical LA fans and starting to look towards leaving to beat traffic. But I, I'm proud of where we sat. I want to say it was maybe 1%. People did look in terms of range of emotions, you know, some devastated, some upset. But I, I didn't I didn't feel like it was over, honestly. And I, we both looked at each other. It's like, there's still time. We just need one or two more chances and it's going to happen because that's just how it goes. Whenever a team goes down, there's always one or two chances. It's just a matter of taking advantage of it. And then I told my wife, I was like, this is this is this is a time for the DPs to earn their money. Two and a half of them are in. Three or four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I honestly was not giving up hope yet. But did I feel like, come on, guys, like seriously, after all that, after the save, like I agree with you. In real time, I, I was like, I can't believe that save just happened. And he just kind of, you know, walked it in almost within the six yard box because no one was marking Elliot. That was really upsetting. But more more to come. And I want you to speak through it so I can rethink and remember that. What immediately happens afterwards is something that really frustrated me. The fans throwing stuff on the field. We've talked about it too many times on this show. I hope the club goes back, uses those eagle eye cameras, figures out who each one of those people are. And I hope they know that they're not welcome in our stadium ever again. You know, I, I I feel bad for the union players that had to deal with things being thrown on the field. But then they turn around and Martinez makes the little crying motion to our fans. And and so, I, you know, at that point in time, I, I, I didn't feel like perhaps as bad for them as they were being pelted by water bottles, which ironically, at the beginning of the game, I was told I wasn't allowed to have a water bottle. And they poured my water into a cup that I purchased at the very beginning of the game. And then I, they probably noticed shortly thereafter that they have vending machines selling water bottles all throughout the bank. And it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to be doing that, which is, is just a quintessential little slice of the bureaucracy of MLS at play there. You could have just taken the cap off the water bottle when you gave it. But I digress. So, you know, the players are getting pelted. I'm I'm not I'm still not a fan of people throwing stuff on the pitch. I don't like it. I think it's classless. I don't think it represents the black and gold. And, you know. Anyway, moving on from that, the Philadelphia fans, I couldn't hear this from the North End, but, you know, I've seen the videos and heard the testimonies now. Philadelphia supporters start into the chant of the cup is coming to Philly. The cup is coming to Philly. Maybe they were talking about uh, Christian Philemon from Defenders of the Bank um, is is what it must have been in retrospect. But uh, a couple things I did notice, the MLS Cup was wheeled out to the field. A bunch of cardboard boxes were brought out and placed behind the Philadelphia bench. Uh, which I later learned contained all of their championship hats and shirts and scarves. Confetti cannons were loaded with Philadelphia Union colors, and everybody was all ready 
to celebrate the first ever MLS Cup in the history of the Philadelphia Union. But lo and behold, we enter the 127th minute. What transpired over the next few seconds is unquestionably the greatest goal in the history of the Los Angeles Football Club. I don't care what you say about CCL goals, about our first goal, our first goal at the bank. This, to me, is unquestionably the greatest moment in LAFC history. We are fighting for a ball. We get ourselves a throw-in in a position of absolutely no danger whatsoever. Palacios fires the throw-in off the chest of Ilier. Iliate gives a quick feed back to Palacios. And Palacios, after 127 minutes of running his tail off, finds his way to the end line, cuts in, and I have no idea where he found the energy to make that move, but it is a move that has been unheralded in so many of the big things that had gone on before and after this one moment. And I would just like to stop for a moment and say, Palacios, bless you, you amazing man, because finding that space, getting down to the byline and floating in one of the most beautifully perfect crosses he has ever done in the history of his LAFC career. And who's at the other end of it? None other than Gareth freaking Bale. And with less than a minute in the game to go, he hammers, hammers that ball home, getting Ronaldo-like height up into the air, gets above a six-foot-six center back, and in the words of the broadcast, absolutely dunks on him, and pandemonium ensued. I have seen the North End celebrate many, many massive goals. Goals versus Carson. Goals to win a supporter's shield. I have never seen the North End lose itself the way it lost itself when that bail goal went in. There were reports of businesses clear on the other side of the 110 freeway that heard the audible roar that came from the stadium in that moment. Across a freeway, there are people who were blocks away in the other direction into Expo Park who heard that noise. I'm sure everyone out there tailgating for the USC homecoming was like, what in the world is going on over there? Because a volcano erupted at Bank of California Stadium. And it was one of the most beautiful, genuinely passionate moments I've ever experienced in my sporting career. I've listened to every replay in every language. I've watched every version of it taken from people's phones, from every different camera angle. And I'm probably going to continue to do so for the rest of my life, I would assume at this point. But boys, what did you think of the Welsh Dragon, Gareth freaking bail tie in the game in the 128th minute honestly honestly when the when we got the throw in i told my wife i'm like there, there might be a chance here and when the the chest down and the give and go with with Ilya and and palacios and he was dribbling i agree with you i don't know where he got the energy i got to the to the end line and that pass that pass is so hard to to do he had to get it over a defender it was like a chip-driven ball, right? There had to be air under it. It had to be floated, but it had to have speed and height at pace and just give Bale a chance to get it, go and get it. But as soon as he passes man and going to the end line, I, I told my wife, this, Gareth's going to get this. Bale's going to get this. And she was like looking at me, trying not to look at me because she was watching. And it ended up happening. And uh, my son was still like semi-asleep on me. I was listening to the game with my headphone, listening to Dave down home. And... I just shot up, lost the headphone. My headphone still were still at the bank. If it hadn't been found, Xavier woke up, 
and didn't know what was going on. And it just, it was crazy. Like the rest of the stadium, I'm sure with the pandemonium you are describing at the North End, it happened everywhere. If you look at every replay, no one's hands are down or no one's sitting. It was, it was just a ridiculous moment. And like you, I've been reliving it as much as I can because I remember it through my eyes, but having every single perspective and story and reading every post about it listening to all the the different calls in different languages has been awesome it was it's just something that i will probably talk to anyone who wants to listen to a story about that game that moment i will be making sure i share it or at the very least sending youtube links like i can't describe it watch this that goal went worldwide for the person who who scored it right like gareth bale is a global iconic player for him to score in that moment under these circumstances at the at the championship game, I mean, that was just an amazing moment. And it, that is a goal that, at least in Los Angeles, is always, if you're a fan of LAFC at the time of that match, like you are always going to remember. You're going to remember that match. You're going to remember that goal, that run, the pass, all of it. Every moment of it, you're going to be able to play that over and over and over in your head. There are a couple things about that goal that I want to talk about that I don't know if I've heard anyone else discuss them, right? You know, one we've already discussed in Palacios. The second is Denny Boanga. And if you go back and rewatch this, which I'm sure you're all going to do a hundred times more anyway, if you notice at the back post is Buanga with a defender. When the cross comes in, the defender breaks off Buanga to cover a potential header towards the back post, leaving Buanga wide open inside the box. And based on the jump of the defender, you can see Blake look over and see Buanga there and thinks for a second, maybe this ball is going to make it all the way over and it's not going to get to bail. And all of a sudden, Buanga is going to be wide open at the back post. And Blake takes a step back and to his left just to kind of try and position himself if that ball gets over bail to Buwanga, that he's going to be able to try and contest the shot from Buwanga. That little half step that he takes back into the left opens up enough space to Blake's right that when Bale fires that header in and he gets a hand over, He's only able to get his fingertips to the ball and not his palm. We're talking about three inches. And the one foot that he stepped to the left, because Bawanga had the sense to step off from his defender, get in line for the pass, opens up the space for Gareth Bale to get that ball past Andre Blake. And I have not heard anyone singing the praises of Denny Bawanga for his ability to just take that step back into space. And frankly, if the ball had missed Bale, he would have been there to collect it and was now wide open inside the box for a, a yet another potential game-tying moment. But he gives Gareth Bale just that extra six inches to the keeper's right when Bale fires that ball in. Otherwise, if Bowanga's not at that back post and Blake doesn't have to take that little step back to the left, Blake's getting to that ball, he's stopping it, and we lose ourselves in MLS Cup. And I don't know if that's something that I've heard anyone else talking about in the sheer awe and joy of that moment and the man who scored it, Gareth Bale, who instantly became a club legend and is now worth every single penny we ever paid him this season, and all the grief and angst and frustration of, is he going to play, is he not going to play? None of that matters. Build the man a statue like Gareth freaking Bale is black and gold 
forever after that moment. But I didn't see anyone else talking about what I thought was a very, very, very pivotal moment in that half second before Bale fires the ball in. Uh, Christian, I don't know if you caught it because it was right in front of you. I caught it. Yep. I did catch it. I didn't think of even mentioning it right now. But no, that's a brilliant observation. I equate it almost to that pump fake, Carlos Vela in the free kick. That just slight step, it can matter so much in terms of keeper such as Blake that can get um, or has the, the wingspan and the athleticism to get to side to side. And Buanga just has the right instincts, right? He is a, a striker that can score and can understand and can calculate what may happen if this doesn't go the right way. Where can I be to to collect the next play or where can I be effective? Uh, where, where can I be dangerous? Where can I affect the way they're defending us? So I'm sure all those things were going through his mind. Right, as he saw Cheeky going down to the end line. So a good observation by you, to be honest with you. Didn't even think to to bring it up, though. It was just something maybe I, I saw, but I'm just still in awe of what happened, that it didn't even materialize as something that I would comment on. But that's, that's brilliant. And, you know, you said I'm the tactician. I don't know if uh, I'm the only one anymore. Movement off the ball. Movement off the ball is so important. And the subtle little things like that, that... Uh, um, you know, only from watching this goal 500 times that I even pick up on. So I don't know if I'm brilliant or if I'm just obsessed with rewatching this goal over and over and over again and trying to break down every little piece of it to bring this info to all y'all wonderful listeners out there that I even caught that moment. Because I got to be honest, the first 20 times I, I was just so enamored with the height that Bale got and the purchase he got on the ball and the accuracy of the shot that I wasn't looking to what was going on behind the play to his right um so maybe it's just my own obsession that's brought us to this point but nonetheless we go to pks and i remember turning around and looking at someone next to me and we're just like yes we scored this goal and then it's like now we got this break and we're like pks i remember this person looking at me and they went you know so pks like who you got and i was like well we've got our backup goalkeeper versus the greatest goalkeeper in mls history great <laughs> like you know um i was i was still pretty nervous at that moment i was ecstatic that we had gotten to this point and the elation of that bail goal was still fresh and look anything can happen in pk's anything can happen in pk's we saw mccarthy earlier this year at sofi stadium put a pretty decent performance in against club america you know if when McCarthy got signed, you know, he was heralded as a PK specialist, that this is what he was known for. There were rumors that he would have entered the game to take PKs, even if Max was still in the game at this point. So there was that little bit of hope in the back of my mind that, you know, potentially we could make this happen. But I, I had to be honest, staring down at Andre Blake with those gloves on, I had to feel like it was advantage union at this point. I had gone on the Dupe by the River podcast with our friend El Parcero Philly, and had been interviewed by a Philadelphia podcast in talking about this game. And I said the absolute worst thing would be for this to go to PKs from a tactical standpoint, because that's really the only time in the game in which I would say it's a clear advantage to the Philadelphia Union in having, you know, a backup goalkeeper that was signed as a free agent that no other team offered a contract to and John McCarthy. You know, and I, I still didn't think it was a fair battle if it was Cripo versus Blake. But in this moment of anxiety, we have to give a shout out to DJ Fresco. No, not that DJ Fresco from the North End. Shouts to the homie. But in this case, we're talking about DJ Mondo Fresco, who has been the DJ for the LAFC game since season one. And in a brilliant stroke 
to try and help take all of our frustration and manifest it into what will go down as one of the most beautiful moments of fan interaction at Bank of California Stadium. Manaz Oye Mi Amor starts playing. And despite the exhaustion, the frustration, the anxiety, the entire stadium starts singing along. And I have to think the Philadelphia Union players and fans were probably completely thrown off by this. And in the psychological battle that is PKs, I have to tip my hat to none other than DJ Mondo Fresco for helping unite the bank and bring the energy back towards the LAFC side in that moment. Obviously, you know, the bail goal was was a massive pendulum swing in and of itself. But I really felt like that unified the stadium in a way that was just absolutely beautiful. And I'm curious if if you guys felt the same way. Maybe it was just me in the North End because the North End was singing the song like crazy. Was the rest of the stadium in on it? And was it as big something you noticed as much as I did in the North End? It was huge. Big ups to DJ Mondo Fresco because he's been Power 106, 96.3. He's been in LA forever. And the right choice of song. And yes, the entire stadium was singing it to a point where uh, my wife recorded it and sent it to multiple jealous friends that were not at the game. And they, they were in disbelief that this was happening during, you know, in the in-between extra time and PKs at the stadium. And they're like, this is ridiculous. It's like, is this really going on right now? I'm like, and yeah, I agree with you. I'm sure it threw off the fans that made the trip from Philadelphia and, and the players. And then going back to what you said in terms of the advantage to the keepers, I, I would agree with you. That was probably my sentiment before the match. But after the goal and even before Armando Fresco put that song on and then bef- and after even more so, I was like, this is this is ours. There's no way that the North End could be replicated and practiced, right? I knew that that would be a huge factor. I knew it. So I felt so confident after the roar that had just happened after Gareth Bale's goal. And then going into PKs where, you know, I know our players feel at home and confident, especially in front of the 30 to 52. And they have never experienced something like that. And that's why, you know, you play the games and you win them to get the supporter shield. So it was an important thing this year, for sure. Chris, I, I saw from a video later posted making its rounds through the interwebs that not only were you a fan of the moment, brother, you were in full voice singing along from down there in the S10s to Manon. I, I really like Manon, bro. Uh, so I, my friend Armando Gutierrez introduced me to Manon when I was like 18 years old, dude. And and I just, it's just been a band that I just listened to. And, you know, Oye Mi Amor is definitely one of those songs that even my kids know that song. Like that's, that's how often Manon plays in my house. I wish I spoke Spanish a lot better than I do. You know, most of the songs they sing, I have no idea what's being said, but I just, I like the music and I like the, I, I just, I dig it, dude. I, I really do dig Manon. So when that came on, you know, it, it was definitely a vibe, you know, and uh, I was feeling it. But when it came to the PKs, you know, hindsight being 2020, I actually think that the circumstances under which John McCarthy came in were like ideal for him because let's just say he did get substituted in to take the PKs. You know, it's like, you don't get a chance to warm up. You don't really get too many action shots. You don't get to do any too many blocks, but now when he came in halfway through the second half of extra time, some of those nerves might've, been you know fizzled away a little bit 
because he would have had some time to kind of get his bearings in with the match. But uh, it's, you know, it's just interesting, interesting all overall story with John McCarthy, right? Former Philadelphia Union player, grew up in Philadelphia, played his college soccer at LaSalle in Philadelphia, you know, and, you know, they released him in like 2018. And it's just an interesting story of how it made its way all the way back around for him. And, and you know, I'm sure that that was like his childhood club, dude. You know, it's it, it it's just one of those things where he's, you know, the team you grew up rooting for is now the team that you're going to look to try and prevent from winning an MLS Cup. It's such an unbelievable Hollywood storyline, as is so much of this game. The legend of John McCarthy that was created at Bank of California Stadium on Saturday is one of the most endearing stories. And there's so many little facets to it, like you mentioned there, Chris, that that just add another layer to it. What I found really interested in researching the pod today is this is actually the second time in McCarthy's career in which he had to go into a shootout against his former club. So he came to the Philadelphia Union after playing for the Rochester Rhinos. And the Union then faced the Rhinos in a U.S. Open Cup match that went to penalties. And he had to go in and stop penalties versus his former club in the Rochester Rhinos when he was with the Union. Fast forward to this past weekend, and here you have John McCarthy once again in a cup final against his former club going in for PKs once again. And there's so many layers to this that are just absolutely fascinating. But we go ahead and get ourselves into PKs. You know, we line up here. Everything's everything's ready to go. You've got LAFC shooting into the 3252. Another brilliant thing that, you know, clearly Dolo and, and you know, Vela and Sanchez were thinking about at the beginning of the game as our, you know, captain, you know, assistant captain and, and coach when they were picking in the coin toss. And who knew a coin toss and picking which direction of the field we were to take at the beginning of the game would have this kind of impact. But winning that coin toss early on meant that PKs were going to be shot into the 3252. And maybe it's my allegiances here, um, but I really feel like the 3252 had an impact on these penalties because the brilliance of our capos, you know, hats off to Chicoline and Julio, our co-directors of active support. They knew to quiet everyone down when an LAFC player was going, ask everyone not to move too much. And when those Philly players came up, they were asking everybody to move around and, you know, not giving players a place to focus off the ball because there's just chaos going around behind them. Some of those little tricks that I think may have helped play into this a little. But here we are, PKs, our backup keeper and J-Mac going up against arguably the greatest keeper in MLS history. And who's first to line up but Christian Teo. And here we go. We can't afford to miss. This is going to be Narrow margins, if any, at this point. Teo lines up and absolutely fluffs the tiniest little roller right into the direction that that Blake had tipped as he was going up for his shot. His little stutter step kind of fails. And I have to admit, this was another one of those moments, very similar to that 124th minute goal. When Teo missed that first shot, I thought, oh, man, we're already down one against the best keeper in MLS history. This is not looking good for us. What was your guys' reaction to the tail miss? You know what? When we talk about PKs, we always, whenever a PK is missed, especially if it's missed and it's off frame, you're always like, yo, bro, at least it's got to be on frame. At least you got to put it on frame, make the goalie make a save. You know, so, I mean, at least it was on frame, right? At least it was on frame. And, 
and he made Blake have to make a save, albeit not a very challenging save. Your so glass is half full. At least it was on frame. <laughs> like he practically bowled the ball to him, and but I, I appreciate your optimism. You know what, bro? I would have been a lot. I would have been a lot angrier if if it was like clear off. It sailed in the sky, and I would have been like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like, why? Why?" I just expected more from a Barcelona academy product, but I agree with you. At least it's in frame. That's job number one. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of a stutter step in penalty kick shootouts. You know, if it's a game, regular season game for points, maybe. Right, that's when you try things. This is where you pick a spot and you shoot it hard. And if the goalie makes a save, then good for him. But if it's a stutter step and try to be tricky and not seemed confident i will say i don't know maybe because i've watched and played like you could tell as he approached and was about to kick where the ball was going like the way he opened up his his body it was telegraphed i'd say half the people in the in the 30s 52 and anyone watching it could tell where he was going to go and he was really nervous so it didn't look good at that point i will say after it went after he kicked it i didn't feel we were gonna lose yet it was like now they gotta shoot right that's how i felt it's like all right it's not good. We could have taken advantage, but now they got to shoot. And then I felt like if they score and it's emphatic, then I was going to be concerned. So at that point in time, I was like, still, we, we got hope. We got hope because it's still tied. We don't know yet. Stepping up to the ball, MLS MVP candidate, one of the most prolific scorers on one of the most prolific teams in the history of MLS. Here comes Gostock. And I was thinking, man, we're already down one. This, this is, you know, we need McCarthy. We need McCarthy to step up huge in this spot. And lo and behold, I'm going to have to say it was the 3252 that stepped up huge in this spot. Because all of a sudden, after it was so quiet for Teo, the North End erupts. And it was deafeningly loud. My ears were ringing after each PK. We were going nuts. We were waving. We were yelling. We were screaming. And you could see in Gazdog's eyes, like when the 3252 like lit up, like he jerked a little bit. Or at least I could see that from the North End. And and he just kind of looked up at us a little bit and then got back down and got into his zone and then steps up, slips, fires a ball. You know, I feel bad. Somebody in the North End got a black eye from that thing. I mean, it was 30 rows up into the 3252. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that was the moment where I was like, we got this. We got this. This this moment is too big for them. They can't look at this seething wall of screaming black and gold fans, and they're not going to be able to do it. The thirty-two fifty-two, and I think from that moment on, everyone in the North End knew that we had affected that shot, or felt that we had affected that shot, believed that we could continue to do so for every kick afterwards. Now it's really down to: Are we going to be cute, try and take more cute penalties? Or are we going to step up and get the job done? And here comes the man who, who frankly had the biggest impact of any of the arriving players towards the end of our season. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't go, don't go yet. Don't go yet. There's two other things I think in this shot that need to be said. Number one, our keeper, Mr. McCarthy. There was some gamesmanship there. There's some gamesmanship prolonging making guys that have to think a little bit longer about the shot as the 3252 is going crazy where he pretends like he doesn't know what the rules for pks are and go talks to the ref points to the line when he's stepping on it can i be this far behind can i go behind okay i have to my feet have to be on the line all kinds of bs things that of course 
This is his profession. He understands. He knows. He knows what he can and cannot do. But he has Gazak's mind going wild. Where am I putting this ball? Do I hit it hard? Do I, you know, go to the side netting, inside of the foot, laces? You can imagine all those things as you all are just doing your job. And I think in this one, he misread it too. He went the wrong way. He went the wrong way. And but I think all these things went in his head. He probably read the right shot that Gazak was gonna shoot initially, and Gazak changed his mind and blew it over the net. Touche. I, I absolutely remember that moment and I forgot to put it in my notes here. I, I thought that was brilliant from McCarthy and I love the housery of it. It was uh it was a brilliant, brilliant thing. But uh where was I? Oh yes, Denny Buanga. Denny Buanga, club legend. I friggin' love this kid. He steps up and does exactly what I demand a player do for every penalty is go take a professional PK, a no-nonsense PK, break the back of the net, right? Stretch that ball out and just absolutely hammers it home. And I I loved that he came out and said, nope, nope, not going to be cute with this, not going to pick a side. I'm just rearing back and I'm going to give it to you as hard as I possibly can. And if you stop it, great, but I'm firing this ball home. Blake picks the right way but there was nothing he could do to get to that ball. It was hit with such force and accuracy. And I remember sitting there in the North end, like that is what Raito could not do. That is what Raito could not do. He could not step up and just drop a pair right there on the pitch and fire that ball home. And that North end erupted. Everyone went crazy. And now we are back in it up against Martinez. Let's remember, this is the same Martinez that was just making little cry symbols to our fans after they had scored the goal, which which they thought had won it for them. This is a man who had just wronged us, and he steps up, enter the legend of John McCarthy, because he plays it absolutely perfectly. He's waving the arms and doing what he needs to do. He's not moving early. He didn't pick a side early. He waited to see where the player's body was positioned and how he thought the ball was going to go. He guessed absolutely perfectly and frankly didn't even need his hands to make the save. He was so on target with his leap, that ball probably would have just hit him square in the chest. But instead, he makes an absolutely perfect stop. And now we're up. It's our chance. And this is when I just started salivating. I want to add another comment here. Stutter step. Yeah, no reaction to it. No reaction to it at all. He waited, he waited, and then Martinez, you could tell, was doing this because of what Gazak had just done. So then he's doubting himself in a different way, right? Doubting himself in a different way where he can't pick a side. So he's, let me do this stutter step situation. Let's see if he commits and makes it easy on me. And it ends up being this soft little shot, kind of like Teo's. Stutter steps don't work. Not in, not in PK shootouts. Let's not do that that way. So Joe McCarthy was in their head at this point. So uh, Martinez, I I love to hate that guy. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. It's great to see instant karma like that. Massive, massive fan of of that particular moment. Upsets Ryan Hollingshead. Yes, uh, I mean, led all of MLS defenders in goals this year, but not exactly the person you're probably circling on the list to be your next PK taker. Chris, what are your thoughts on Hollingshead's PK? So... I was around Ryan after the game and he was asked about the PK situation. And he said that uh, they were taking PKs in practice all week, just in case it came up to it. And, you know, he was making his PKs and during the match, 
I guess uh, Dolo had pulled aside like five guys and Ryan's standing there. He goes, all right, cool. He didn't pull me. All right, man, I'm out of this. And then after like they get out of the huddle or whatever, Dolo walks over to Ryan. He goes, you cool going third? And Ryan's like, third? Uh, Yeah, okay, I guess. Let's do this. You know, and uh, Ryan had said that uh, he saw that Blake, I guess, was giving like a signal, an early signal as to where, which direction he was going. So, you know, he had done that with uh, Teo and Buwanga. So uh, Ryan, you know, said that he used that to his advantage. Look at that. World-class reporting, Mr. Christopher Signs. It's excellent work. Wish you'd have tweeted that out. We could have gotten so many likes, bro. Um, but no, you saved it for the show. I appreciate that. I appreciate oh, it. I think Blake was reading the plant foot a lot. So all he did was open up his, his body and his foot last second because his shot wasn't placed. It was looking like he was going to go across the goal, right? So then he just opened his body last second possible. No stutter step. You just got to go through that. That's like the OG fake kind of where you're going with your laces it wasn't cornered but it was confident i guess and he really sold it so i think that's what kind of got blake to dive the wrong way on that one it's almost the the powered panenka if you will it's i'm just gonna fire it straight down the middle and hope you've been tricked into guessing a direction uh he did end up putting the ball to to the opposite side of of blake's dive but you know i mean it was basically fired right down the middle and and you know hollingshead goes screaming off and i'm like all right all right, advantage us now. Now it's time for none other than Kai Wagner, another prolific scorer, another guy who got MVP votes, another person you expect to go up there, take a no-nonsense penalty, and just fire this ball home. Now McCarthy had already dove to his right twice, so you have to think in the back of the mind, there's no way he's diving to the right three times. I, I don't know what happened in this moment because I, I got blocked off seeing it in the moment. But I just remember that I saw the ball go rolling out in front of me. I heard the roar of everyone around me. And I knew in that moment, there's no way we're missing two in a row. It's over. We just won the cup. We just won it all. I knew we had to still step up and see it through. And there was always that chance, but but the advantage was two goals to us at this point. And I'm like, look, there's no way, because I could see who number five was going to be. There was no way number five was going to be missing the goal. It was really whether or not number four was going to step up and put this ball home. Lo and behold, the man who has begged and willed this team, the most essential off-season signing that we had during the last winter window, the marshal of our midfield, a man who has proven himself to be in my personal conversations with him, one of the most brilliant players I've ever spoken to, someone who has galvanized this team, someone who has consistently said he needs this MLS Cup for his career, that he has played in this league for too darn long and played too well to not have himself a cup. Ilya Sanchez steps up and once again, no nonsense. He just fires it home with all the power in his body. It's low. Blake guesses right, but he hits it with such fierce determination. The ball goes into the back of the net. And we are your 2022 MLS champions. Boys, what was your reaction to Ilya's PK? I knew he was going to hit it through and true. And it wasn't cornered necessarily, but um, I think there was slight doubt. And Blake and Blake's so athletic that he still got a hand on it. But I don't know. It was even if he had missed, I thought he was going to win. But I, he looked so confident. He looked so calm. He looked in the moment. He I don't know. He's been 
study Eddie without being Eddie Segura this this year. And I'm so glad that he was the one to do it because he's one of the unsung heroes of the season. One of the key moves that we needed to get to this point. So it was just pandemonium everywhere once that ball hit the back of the net. It was just an incredible feeling. Again, just like unreal, you know, I mean, gosh, for the for Philadelphia not to have scored a single PK, I couldn't believe it. You know, I could not believe that Philadelphia didn't score a single penalty kick against our backup goalkeeper. And I I just and it it the moment the moment was just amazing. You know, everyone was hugging and crying and I mean it it was such a magical moment, to be honest. All I could think of in that moment were the people that we had lost along the way that had been such an integral part of this LAFC community. I thought of Mo, I thought of Jaime, Christian, I was thinking of your grandfather. I, I just, you know, there was there was so many emotional connections tied into this particular season. The win for Mo hashtag, you know, trying to raise money for the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. I mean, all the things that have happened in the periphery of this season coming out of pandemic and and all the people that that we lost and had suffered throughout the course of the pandemic and and what this particular season had meant to the LAFC fans I, I just I just got lost in the emotion of the moment and I was hugging everybody that could be around me I, I got to take in the game with with Rachel and and Andreas Geck former guest of the show shouts to the homie who who sat there with me through this whole game I was so exhausted I was so exhausted it had taken every bit of energy for me to make it through 120 plus minutes and and PKs and and still try and have anything left in my voice to be screaming during those PKs. I, I darn near collapsed from the exhaustion of it in the moment. And I think I was just so overwhelmed with emotion. And the reality of it, I don't think set in for hours at that point. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Christian, when I ran into you short shortly after the end of the game, when I was buying a championship scarf, when I was talking to Panda from Angel City Chicks, I was like, I, I still felt like they were going to go to the video table and, and somehow we were going to be back playing. I, I just the flag was going to go up. Somebody was off the line. Like I just I, I felt like it could still be taken from us. I didn't feel like it was real in that moment. I, I don't think it really uh, until I got to the thirty two fifty two after party. Did it really settle into me that like, holy smokes, we just want it all elation. But I mean, it was so much joy that in the moment I just couldn't process it. I, I just, you know, all I could think of was, was Mo and Jaime and, and Senor Aparicio and, and, you know, Julio's father and, and so many people that we had these deep connections with that were no longer with us and, and how much this meant to the community that had endured all that, that it was just like, it was too much to take in being a champion and, and all that emotion at the same moment. It was, it was a lot to process, but uh, you know, shortly thereafter ran over, grabbed myself that MLS champions t-shirt, which I think I wore for about the next two and a half days straight, grabbed myself a couple of those 2022 champion scarves. And I, I think I walked around for like the next hour, just, just holding up, just meandering around the bank, in in a state of dazed delusional glory just walking around with that 22 
champion's scarf, just showing it to everybody and their mother, hugging random ass people I've I've never met before. Had a couple people come up and be like, oh, I can't wait to listen to the show. And I'm like, oh, thank you. That's great. But I can't even think about that right now. We're champions. It was it, it was pure joy. Absolute pure joy. Hello, this is Jordan Harvey, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, gentlemen, this is something that I really wished I could have been there for. But regrettably, I had to work Sunday after the game. It was a late night celebrating with the 3252. We popped many a bottle of the D9U tequila, which if you would like to celebrate this championship, you can still head to flaskfinewines.com and get yourself a bottle of that beautiful tequila. There were quite a few of those cracked at the 3252 after party. We had a lovely night dancing and partying in a way, and I had to get up and go to work the next morning, which was a rough, rough shift. I'm not going to lie. And to rub it all in, y'all got to go down to the bank and enjoy the championship celebration ceremony slash fan fest that took place Sunday. And there were a, a few things that I wanted to point out, unfortunately, having to watch that through most of y'all's live streams. And you know, thank you to everyone who live streamed the event so that I could at least be a part of it remotely at work. But there were some really cool things that transpired during the fan fest. We had another you know, mini parade, a little march with the 3252 and players all in a big bus behind it. Not quite the parade I think we all would have hoped for, but uh, a mini parade nonetheless there to Christmas Tree Lane. Larry, Larry, what a great dude. I mean, everything he's done for this club from day one, but he always, always takes the time to go ahead and thank every single person that was a part of this and and never forget the people along the way. And he was shouting out all the various different SGs and all the people in the front office. Lo and behold, he gives a shout out to the LAFC pod fam as well, too. So, you know, from all of us at S2S, what a, what a huge moment. What did you guys think when we're sitting there, trophy on the stage, players everywhere, celebrating the first cup in team history? And out of our co-president's mouth comes the words shoulder to shoulder podcast. Did, did you get the warm fuzzies that I got? Yeah, I mean, it's an honor to be considered to be even mentioned in in a speech like that you know the the club has really has so many good contributors whether it's the the media content team the the photographers the videographers you know so for them to to give us credit for any of what we contribute to it was just such an honor because you know we are you know just a small part of this but it's still nice to be recognized. And, you know, Larry has always been such a very, very big advocate for our show and for the other podcasts that it really is. It was, it was a really special moment. Agreed. Oh, very thoughtful to think about everyone that's contributed one way or another. He's been awesome. He's been on the pod. We appreciate the time he's given us and some other participants and people part of the front office and the coaching staff in the past who participated in some of the players as well. So I know everyone that contributes or creates content takes time out of the day for the most part compensated. And just because of the love and the the grit, the effort that they give back to us on the field. Uh, but there's a lot of things that happen in offices, on screens, with recording equipment, with video equipment uh, that people do on their own time to make this the club that it is. So it was, it was an awesome moment for him to, you know, give us some of the breath that he was sharing with everyone in terms of how we got here and uh, being considered was awesome. Very kind of him. Very kind of him. Thank you, Larry. Really appreciative. McCarthy. I mean, all the McCarthy interviews from the end of the game straight through to the fan fest have just been pure gold. 
the passion, albeit uncensored, that that he brings. Certainly not family friendly. We can't really repeat a whole lot of of what he said here on this show. Uh, but there was one thing that really stood out to me that we found out in some of the post game interviews. McCarthy had no clue he had won the MVP. They came up to him and asked him to hold the trophy. And he's like, no, no, that's that's Carlos Vela's job to, to hold the championship trophy. And they had to stop him and explain to him, no, you've won MVP. This trophy is about you. Uh, and he broke down crying. And that moment in which he received the MVP trophy, where he's at a complete loss for words, just another one of those beautiful moments. But when it came to the fan fest, McCarthy was certainly not at a loss for words, especially some of the four-letter variety and the passion that he showed uh, and the completely uncensored, unfiltered John McCarthy that we got at the post-game celebration was really cool. Uh, and speaking of uncensored moments, up comes Carlos Vela with uh, a speech that had to be translated for me, although there were definitely a couple words in there I understood. And like we sort of alluded to at the beginning of the show, we, we waffled with naming it uh, a Kiesta El pinch me trophy and definitely when his version of that phrase uh perhaps with a slightly different word edited in there uh was definitely a word that i recognize uh in my limited spanglish and the response from the crowd when he threw the mic down lifted up the trophy i mean for carlos vela the first ever signing in the history of this club uh, the man who will be the first trophy of any player to stand outside Bank of California Stadium. Just just what a fitting and touching moment. Do you boys have any reflections on either McCarthy or Vela's words? I'm just happy that Vela finally got what he wanted, obviously, and what he promised. And you could see the sense of relief. And the almost you could tell there's a weight off of his shoulders. And I, I can't wait to see what that means next next season for him. If he's playing free with a little bit less pressure, I'm hoping that it's it's motivating. And he did talk about wanting more now that he he's at this point. But yeah, the reaction from the crowd, it's just probably how everyone felt, right? We were so close in year two and didn't get it over the line and the way we won. And I thought we deserved it as a team, as a community. The way that we did it was great. And then John McCarthy just been, you know, happy to be there. Very wears his heart on his sleeve. Like he is unfiltered in every sense of the way and enjoying every moment of it. And that makes me feel so good for him. It is a really nice thing that Carlos has been able to be here from beginning to where we are at today. And you know, it always feels good for someone when they make good on the goals that they set out for themselves. You know, so I'm happy for Carlos because, it, you know, there have been a lot of naysayers and people, especially this season, that have felt that Carlos may not have deserved, you know, especially when we were looking at the beginning of the season and we were talking about, is Carlos going to get that extension? Does he deserve to get the extension? You know, and it's just nice that he was here for it. And he was, he was still the captain and leading us to this victory. And, um, you know, with John, I mean, we need him with John McCarthy. We need him now more than ever because we've got a lot of big games coming up over the next few months. You know, the season starts again in February and I'm not sure Max is going to be back by then. Right. So, you know, John's going to be here for some more time. And I'm just glad that, that he was able to experience and enjoy those moments. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have, to have a quality goalkeeper as a backup like John. John McCarthy, just like Max Kerpo, have options for next season, breaking down the entire roster and taking a look at who's coming, who's going, who we should extend contracts to. 
that's a show for another day. We got some great content prepared over the course of this offseason. We're going to break down our CCL draw, get you guys all freshed up on our opponent. We're going to take a look at this roster, who's coming, who's going, what we think needs to change as we get ready for next season. But we really just want to take a moment at the end of the show for us all to just kind of stop and reflect on what an emotional and powerful and fantastic season this has been, one in which we finally get to put a star upon our crest, the first ever MLS Cup in the history of the Los Angeles Football Club. Absolutely sensational moment. Folks, we'd like to thank you so much for listening to episode 141 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. You can catch us on all your social media platforms at LASCS2S. Please shoot us a message if you'd like to come on and be our guest at any point in time in this offseason. Tell us about your black and gold story. Tell us about your emotional reaction to this amazing, amazing season that we have just put an end on. Thank you, folks, for listening to episode 141 entitled Oye Mi Amor, Si Somos Campeón. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay fly in that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.